An average dentist working with a good technician will do very well in their career. This was some advice given to me by a legendary dentist called Raj Rattan. It was about nine years ago now. I remember exactly where I was, who I was with, what I was wearing. It's just like a really emphatic advice for me at the time. It's just stuck with me throughout my career. And it's not too different to the advice that Finlay Sutton gave a few episodes ago. If you scroll down and listen to that episode about Scandinavian design of partial dentures. And he said to find a technician who's a similar age as you, who's got a similar appetite for dentistry as you do, and grow together. Hello, Petrus Rati. I'm Jazz Galati, and welcome back to another episode of Protrusive Dental Podcast. This time, it was actually a rare face-to-face -face episode that I recorded. I drove over 100 miles to see Graham, my technician, and the theme was to answer your questions that you'd sent on the Facebook group. Everything you wanted to know from a technician, but never asked. We covered things like digital versus analog. Is digital there yet? Should we be opening contacts on veneers? Heck, do technicians like it when we open the contacts for veneers? The answer might surprise you, it certainly surprised me. How to match the shade for a single central incisor and a huge mammoth topic of how to get the occlusion right. Now, we covered that in good depth in this episode, but me and Mahmood go into it in loads of depth in our upcoming occlusion course. We're almost done. It's being beta tested. It's something we're super stoked about, but it's covering all these scenario-based themes to make sure that it's extremely practical and tangible occlusion tips. I also took the opportunity while at Graham's lab to film some content for OBAB. OBAB is Occlusion Basics and Beyond. And if you want to join the waiting list for this course, head over to occlusion.wtf. That's occlusion.wtf. Actually, it's a real website on a browser. You can sign up to updates for when our occlusion course is ready hopefully coming in March, April time. So this is huge. It's like in the final, final phases. This episode with Graham is eligible for CPD. So you get one hour of CPD. If you're part of Protrusive Premium, just download the app. If you haven't downloaded the app, what are you waiting for? If you're a true Protrusive and you enjoy these episodes, then it's well worth joining the app. And you'll be able to download the premium notes. So if you're already used to watching on YouTube, you see the notes coming up on the side. Well, those notes are neatly presented in a PDF that every premium user can download via the app. And it's just a nice summary and it solidifies your learning. The protrusive dental pearl for this episode is very much relevant to this theme of working with your technician. It is time, my friend, that you find your ideal dental technician. Just like I said at the beginning of this episode, the average dentist working with a good technician will go very far. And it's been critical for me. Funny story, actually, I, I posted a case recently that me and Graham did together. It was like a single onlay. It was a beautiful onlay. And so I posted the step-by-step, -step, what I did, what my prep looks like. And one of the photos was actually uh, bonding the ceramic with Panavia and taking an occlusal photo. And I, and I wrote on there, Graham did an awesome job. And remember, uh, Ahmed, Ahmed from Australia, I hope your hand's feeling okay. I know you posted on social media that your, your hand was injured. I hope you get better, my friend. You are a true protrusor team. Sending my love your way. And anyway, I, Ahmed commented saying, wow, I'm just amazed that you know your technician's name. Now, I agree with him. I think it's pretty cool that I know my technician's name and I get to be on a WhatsApp basis and we leave voice notes. And that's why I love communicating with Graham so much and any of the technicians that I work with. But most of my colleagues that I speak with, they use a big lab. It doesn't matter if you use a big lab or a small lab, but the person on the other end who's making that crown, making that onlay, making that veneer, making that denture, they don't know that person's name. So if you don't know their name, how are you going to build that relationship? How are you going to grow together with that technician? Patrice Rotti, how are you going to find your Graham, this unicorn, this good technician I was referring to? Well, the guest for today is Graham Entwistle. He's a brilliant technician I've been working with for coming up to just two years, so not mega long time, but I've been really impressed with our communication, the voice notes, the Loom videos that I send to him and how he responds back and how receptive he is to my advice and how open I am to receiving his. I tell him, Graham, if I send you some junk, you tell me I've sent you junk. And likewise, if there are any protocols we've adjusted, we worked a lot on vertical preparations and, and getting the, the crown, vertical crowns with the correct emergence. And he was really good to take my advice on board and change a few parameters and together we've got some great results with vertical but the funny thing is that i found graham by accident he dm'd me on instagram we started talking and he started listening to podcasts and and i knew some really great dentists like rasta mupin elaine mo kieran bogle i know i knew these guys were using graham so then he had just about enough capacity to take me on as a client and boy am i glad he did and I think every restorative-minded dentist should have a good technician that they know by first-name basis that can just pick up the phone and give a call or leave a cheeky voice note. I think it's absolutely imperative. 
So Patricia don't do what I did. Don't wait around for your dream technician to DM you on Instagram. It's not gonna happen. That's like a unicorn scenario. Now, Graham's not the only technician I know. Graham, sorry, I am cheating on you with uh, another technician also called Graham uh, and Dan as well at Precision Dan Studio. So uh, I use a couple of labs. Graham's one of my main guys I use. But even though I use the second lab, which is my local lab, I still visit them now and again. They know me by my face. I know them by their face. I know what their voice sounds like. I leave voice notes. They leave voice notes back. We have really good communication. The tip I can give to any dentist who's working with a bigger lab, maybe a chain of labs or just a lab with lots of technicians and you don't know who's making your crown, is just go in one day, meet them, try and get the same, try and ask for the same person to send back your crowns and then grow together. Be open to getting feedback and criticism from that technician. That is scary, but it will really, really elevate you. In fact, I urge you to make it your mission to visit your lab. Perhaps you've never visited your lab before. Show your face, shake some hands and agree to who is going to be your dedicated technician and just watch the magic happen. The best time to find the ideal technician was once you qualified. The second best time is right now. And one last thing with your technician, because they do all the hard work and sometimes we get the glory. Once you've delivered a case, it's nice to sometimes take a photo and email it to your technician and say, hey, we nailed this together and your craftsmanship was amazing. And it's, it's great for these technicians to see their work fitted. I don't think enough of them get to see that. And I can tell you, they really appreciate it. And so with that, let's join the main episode with Graham Entwistle. Graham Entwistle, welcome back again to the Petrusa podcast. How are you, my friend? I'm actually quite good. It's nice to see you. Nice to meet you in the flesh. So just set the scene, guys. I'm at Graham's lab. Where are we? Romney Marsh? Where the hell is this place? It is literally the middle of nowhere, but it's Romney Marsh, Kent, East Sussex border, pretty much. Well, I was like trying to find my way here. I was like, where on earth is this? So I'm glad to have discovered a new place. It has been amazing to work with you in the last couple of years. I've learned a lot from you. Communication like, is exactly what I wanted. Like, I think as a restorative dentist, one of the tips I want to give to everyone is Find a tech who you get along with, who you like preferably, who you can just exchange on a daily basis. Like pick up the phone, I can call you. I feel I feel at ease about picking up the phone calling you. Although our favorite mode of communication is WhatsApp voice message, which is much more real world because you know you might be busy doing something and just get back to it. There's no pressure. So we do lots of you see our WhatsApp trail images, I do lots of loom videos, which I'll ask I'll ask your opinion how you find those, because it might be hit and miss. You might hate those and you know might just be tolerating them. I'll ask you that in a moment. If you guys haven't listened to episode 74 already, that was Graham with five things your technician wished you knew. So that was helping us dentists. Today, I've been asking on the Petrusa Dental Community Facebook group about what is it that you guys want to know when it comes to anything you want to know from a technician working better with our technician. So Graham, just for those who perhaps didn't listen to episode 74 yet, a little bit about yourself in terms of what drives you, why you became a tech, how is it that you're able to run this lovely facility with five kids, <laughs> work-life balance, <laughs> Oh, blimey, I don't know where to start. So what was the first question? First question, my friend, is a little bit about your background. Like, what got you into being a lab tech, basically? So first of all, never really been the type of person to get an office job, sitting there in front of a computer day in, day out, doing the same thing. It's monotonous. I'm autistic. And yeah, it just doesn't suit me. So found a job, King's College Hospital, and went for the interview. They got me to carve a whistle out of chalk and do a few other bits and got the job. And I loved and hated the job throughout the time. And um, I went into cosmetic dentistry after I left. And I was only doing that for about a year. And then I ran bars and nightclubs for whoa, about whoa, whoa. four so, years. So you, you, left, you, you I left, left dentistry. You left for being about a cosmetic years. lab tech. Yeah. Right? For bars and nightclubs. So tell us a little, just, just a 30 seconds. Tell us about that. What happened there? So I was working in Basildon at the time for a well known technician. And um, I was quite unreliable. I didn't drive. I was relying on ferries or cycling and it just got a bit much. So we kind of parted ways amicably and I just found a bar job to make ends meet while I was looking. Within four or five months, I had a bar manager's job. Four months after that, I was an area manager. And four years later, I was like, I need to get out of this, go back to what I'm good at. So, Do you, do you yeah. not miss being a, a lab tech or, or perhaps you were, you were still early in your career at that stage and perhaps you didn't quite know exactly what kind of a tech you wanted to be I mean tell us a bit about that I didn't I didn't really know what I wanted to do so I had to go out and taste the world for myself and I think being in the bar industry enabled me to do that and learn a little bit about myself but it came with its own problems mm -hmm. so yeah I, I 
got back out of the industry and I struggled to get back into dental technology actually because nowhere wanted to pay any you know decent money for a technician is we still find that these days that you know we kind of price ourselves down in the market because everyone wants cheap you want to compete and, and as, 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 a, as a result of that trying to attract technicians if you're not charging a decent price is very difficult mm -hmm. so the price is then driven up again so yeah you either find uh, uh, unskilled workers yep. doing your mm -hmm. work for cheap or you to find skilled workers is now very difficult because we haven't trained our own for a long time mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But what I found is on the main dentist Facebook groups, I found that a lot of the comments and, and, and threads are like, where is the best price or where is the cheapest to get X, Y, and Z for lab work? That's the kind of conversation that's happening. Yeah. You know, I, I also see where is the best. So I see two different polar opposites. I see yeah. where is the best. Price is not an issue. Like, tell me where's the best. And the other, the other half is like, I need the cheapest but still good. I want cheap, but good. It all depends on your business model at the end of the day, I think. You know, it's not down to what it is you want from this, that, or the other. It's your business model that counts the most, I think, when you're selecting anything. And then you adapt to that and you try and find the best you can for that budget. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. When you were working in a bar and in, in the nights industry and you were working with people, you were seeing people all the time, people in your face. And now I look at your lovely little, little lovely little lav. It's just little old you. With oh lots of chocolate in the corner there. And just you and your phone do WhatsApp voice messages and waxing up and stuff. Yeah. Is that like a big shift and change in terms of your working life? It is a big change, but I've gone through a lot of big changes. Like since having my first child, I had struggled with addiction for a while at points in time, a little bit about myself. Mm -hmm. And I've managed to overcome that. And this has been part of my journey. And I now enjoy my own company. So yeah, I've Without the bar industry, I wouldn't be who I am today. I learned how to run business. I learned a lot about people. I learned a lot about communication, how to be a host, and kind of got a, a bigger picture of who people are. And I try not to take away the humanity from the business side of things as well. So yeah, it's, it's kind, of, kind of a difficult balance. What I love about you, Graham, is, I said it already, the communication side. I, think, I just think I would really urge all dentists who care about their restorative dentistry, who are really aspiring to be the best they can be, you won't get nowhere unless you've got good lab tech on your side. I, 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 I genuinely believe that. That uh, Some advice that was given to me when I was one year qualified by Raj Vatan is an average dentist with a good lab, lab tech will really do well. Oh yeah, for sure. And it makes a huge difference. So I think I'm, I'm grateful to have you in my sphere and grateful to be able to work with you as well as some of the other labs I work with, like shout out to Precision Dent Studio and Alan and the team there. Uh, I use you guys for different things. I know where me and you get along well, like your vertical preparations. We've talked a lot about that on calls and WhatsApp and stuff. So you're my go-to guy for that. A lot of my splint work that I do will go to another Graham. So if you're a technician who wants to work with me, your name has to be Graham. Uh, fun fact. <laughs> or <What laughs> <I mean>? Alan. <laughs> yeah, Graham or Alan. That's true. That's true. So um, look, we're going to, firstly, thank you for sharing some admissions there. You know, I really appreciate the human side of that. And, and that's really good of you to do that, I think. It really makes humanizes us. And I think we need that in, in life and work and stuff. So I think that's a really great, uh, another feature about you. I'm going to go and just find those questions that were on the group that the Protruderati had for you. Some of these are like my own little questions and some of these are for, from everyone. So uh, right. let's start with some of the things that I was talking to you about as we were coming up the steps, which was um, you took me to the plaster room and you said that's hardly being used nowadays because a lot of your work is now gone digital. So I said to you, well, you know, I'm I'm very digital, but when I get like a, a bigger case, multiple units, I still pick up the polyether. I still like to do that. And you were like, well, you know, it depends. So where do you lie on this, the benefits or the advantages of, of analog? Or do you really think that actually the, the, the advantages aren't really there of analog anymore, such that you, you really can do everything digitally? Where are you on that scale? It just entirely depends on what your technique is with both. So analog impressions, I don't know if you've noticed, but if you've ever had an analog models from myself, I do not split models. Mm -hmm. So it's always a solid model, single dies. So single dies come out the first pore because it's the most accurate pore. And then the solid model master model goes into that. And what I find with that is you're not stripping away the gingiva off of your model. So you know where the gingiva actually sits and you're not, you've got more an idea of emergence profiles. So, We've got that, and then we're not splitting the models, so we've got no expansion, contraction, sort of like differentials there because you've actually just kept it as a one piece. So 
You can wax everything, wax up little copings on your single dies, transfer them over to the master model, finish your waxing, transfer them back, seal the margins, reseal the margins, then take it off, invest, press, get them back, and hopefully, cross your fingers, everything's great. But do you, it's the same, do you like but I find, with it? But I find the same with yeah. digital. Okay. So if I've got a large case, sometimes I might design the models twice. So I'll design the first one as a solid model. And then I'll design the second lot, get removable dies, and I'll print them separately. Or Let's I'll just print explain two what this is, because dies. there might be some like young dentists who, who just, this is all in a different language. That for you, you know, being a lab tech, a yes. lot of people probably don't know what a solid die means. So just let's just break it down. Okay, what do you mean by a solid die? And then what do you mean by, by split? Just, just really dumb it down for so us. So a die is basically the prep. So you've got a prep that you can remove from the model that is a die. Mm -hmm. So all of those removable parts are dies. When you've got a solid model, it's an unsplit, no saw cuts, no saw lines or anything that's you know moving within a model. So you like to work with that uh, unsplit model where it says the, the full model without the, the splits, without the dies, right? With Correct. individual dies. Yeah, all the time, all day, every day. And do you think that if someone's working with the technicians who's using, sending back everything on a die, so everything's split, is that, there, is there a disadvantage there? Well, yeah, because you when, when you put a saw cap through your models, you've then got expansion, contraction, and as much as people say, oh, I put retention slots and this, that, and the other. When you take a model out and put it back in, you attract dust on the undersides of things, and little bits of wax get stuck, and it doesn't always go back where it should exactly because obviously things have expanded, contracted. So you get little discrepancies between your contacts and sometimes even occlusion. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you've done it on something that doesn't move, yes. then it hasn't moved. It's just more movable bits. And, and, I, and I can completely get that. Now that leads us very nicely to another question, which was on the group. One of the questions that we had was veneers. Like we mentioned again, on the, while we were walking up the stairs about we actually managed to squeeze a lot of conversation, geeky conversation, and just in that one small step. But veneers, a lot of people have a bias towards impressing, towards analog, because they believe that to get the highest quality of veneer work back from the lab tech, it has to be analog. What do you think about that? It depends on what type of veneers you're looking for, really. So felspathic, obviously, you're going to need to produce an analog impression because you need refractory dyes. I don't offer that service here, unfortunately. What is a refractory dye? A refractory dye is a dye that you can stick in your furnace, basically. So it's a heat-resistant material that you can lay your ceramic on, put in the furnace with it. And so you don't do that because because you don't work with that anymore? I just, I just don't work with that type of process. My prices don't reflect that type of work. Mm -hmm. So um, I like to consider myself a quality laboratory, but I'm not really a top-end laboratory. Mm -hmm. and I don't cater services towards that, sure. that type of um, restoration. But you do veneers, but you do mostly like uh, lithium disilicate, lithium disilicate uh, pressed? Pressed and pressed and layered. Okay. Now we'll do a little deviation from that. So so we established that, okay, if you want to do felspathic, then you need to really go analog, right? Yes. But if you're doing a big case, lots of crown preps, traditional chamfer shoulders, vertical margins, etc., do you feel there's a difference in terms of the quality that you can produce or the quality, the end result, the end product? between analog and digital. What I'm really trying to say to, you know, is digital there yet? Digital is there, I do believe. Printers these days have made massive advances, but it also depends on what printer the lab's using, what settings you're using, you know, and if you're outsourcing your models, are you really getting back what it is that you want? You know, are the dyes, you know, retentive enough as they go in? But the more times the, mod the dyes come in and out of the models, the more loose they become, the more give they've got, the more inaccurate they become. But you just said, and I know I know, I know the answer, but I'm just saying it for everyone else, but you said that you don't like to work with individual dies because you like the whole model to be together. Therefore, it's, it's a Geller type setup, right? Is that the right term for it? Is that the right term? When you, when you can actually take the prep out, but the model itself is still the same? Is that what you're referring to? It's just a Geller model. Yeah. yeah you've still got removable parts. Yes. So, yeah. so, so in case someone got confused about you yes. taking something in and out, yeah. what you do, when Graham sends my work back to me, there's multiple units, for example, or even a single unit, the, the model is a whole, there's no splits, but you can take the, the preps out. Yes. And, and it, that's the, unique to digital, right? In, 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 in no, that way, no, it's no, easier? You can, you can set it up with analog as well. Is it a lot more harder to do that? 
Are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental Podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later, you can get all of that for less than 15 tax-deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We've worked so hard on this protrusive team and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. It takes a bit of tweaking to get your parameters right and every single sort of type of tooth. So my settings for getting a molar in and out of a, a model will be different to an, an anterior tooth coming in and out of the model because of just like the surface area that comes in and out of the model and the friction that's caused there. So yeah, there's a lot to think about. It's a minefield and um, obviously if you do choose to use that type of model system, then the more you take the dye in and out, the less friction that's there, the more give that's in the model and the less accurate it becomes. So like I said, sometimes I print two dyes to go into one model. One can come in and out and one just sits in there. And that's like the, the master where you check everything yeah, at the end. Yeah, master, yeah. Okay. Very good. So the whole debate, to summarize, you do feel that digital is there for like uh, feldspathic kind of veneer work. Maybe, yeah, we still need analog, but for most other work, for even for math rehab kind of stuff, you've got clients sending you all digital scans. Yes, so I'm getting all digital scans and had good success Because so I haven't made that leap to full digital. For like, if I've got like more than maybe eight units, okay? Not that I'm doing that, I'm not a prosthodontist, I'm a general dentist, but when I do have, more, the more units I have, the more reason I'm gonna go for, for analog, but that might be changing. And I think, you know, you, you make a good point that nowadays digital is, is, is really great. So yeah, it was actually Chang. Chang was your question, Chang Yeo's question. Uh, what percentage, in, in one of the things that you mentioned, what percentage of analog impressions are excellent? What percentage are acceptable? And what percentage are unusable? Now, obviously you're more digital now, but based back on, on your time at King's, and, and your previous sort of reincarnation, what kind of quality of impressions we, are we getting? Okay, so let's take it back to when I came back into dentistry. I worked at a predominantly NHS kind of driven laboratory out in Canterbury. Um, the boss was a really nice guy. But the work that we were getting from dentists was kind of slapdash. You know, that you couldn't really see margins. No one was using cords. And sometimes you'd go back to the, the clinician and say, look, this isn't really good enough. They're like, do your best. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and it's just like, okay, well, um, okay, I'll do my best. You know. So, And then even when you do your best, sometimes it's not good enough. It comes back. It's like, well, you know, yeah. I did say. Yeah. So I'd say the percentage of success with impressions and digital is, again, based on the business model. So if your business model is high-end, sort of like top-quality restorative work and you've spent a lot of time as a clinician on your work refining what you're doing and taking nice impressions or nice scans and long appointments using they're, not, cords, they're not short appointments using cords yeah. then your success rate is much higher mm -hmm. whereas if you're cutting corners doing knife edge margins that are not readable and you know just doing a quick scan without checking and there's a lot of people who still don't check their scans even mm. in, even with top top end work you know find that people aren't quite checking their scans thoroughly enough and you know there's a bit of moisture somewhere and it's caused a bit of a defect in the scan data and I can't then extract the dye with the margin intact in areas. And you so, sent me a WhatsApp image when I've done that before. When yeah. I had, when in one distal corner, I, and it's, it's good, it's great to be able to work with a technician who will send you your little minor cock-ups, right? It's, it's great yeah, to have yeah. that. And I think, uh, I really appreciate that. I think more technicians should not be afraid to, to message their dentist like, oh, look, and, and you know, the screenshots you send, the photos you send, I think that is wonderful to help improve us. So a word of advice is always check your impressions. Always check your scan. It, you know, an extra 20 seconds could actually save you an, an appointment, so. The advice I would also give to dentists is if you're new to digital, a lot of people who've been in the digital game for long enough, you guys know this already, but if you're new to digital, remember that for digital, actually, you need a slightly more aggressive retraction compared to analog, because with analog, impressions can seep into the nooks and crannies, right? The the the, the wash impression can seep in. Whereas the, the, if the light can't get somewhere, it can't record that. So I have found that I need more aggressive retraction when it comes to digital to get an acceptable model. Yeah. I don't know what you found with that. 
Do you feel as though when you see some digital models come back and you feel as though, okay, this really needed more retraction, do you often say that to yourself? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes I do. And, you know, sometimes you've already told the person three or four times and by the fifth time, you know, they're not really going to change. So, you know, you start letting things slide as a technician because you it your takes best. your time. You do your and best. You do your best. You know, there's, a, there's only so much advice you can give somebody before it then becomes just an everyday practice that, oh, that's how it's kind of going to be. And then you put up with it for a little while and then you sort of like, after a few months, you might just drop that little nugget again, just hopefully plant a little seed in their mm -hmm. brain. It's like, do you remember talking about this? And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you've gone away from doing that, you know. But it's good that you it's, do that. But technicians, like your colleagues, might be afraid to, I think, to, to I say think that to bad, them. Badgering people's bad. But if you can kind of just drop little seeds every now and then, hopefully people will start to realise, actually, I could be doing this better. I think one thing that dentists can do to, to right now, not even tomorrow, right now, pause this episode and do this. If you don't have your technician on WhatsApp, get your technician on WhatsApp firstly. Secondly, WhatsApp them the following voice note saying, Graham, if you find that I am slipping in my standards or if there's something I can improve, please tell me. I'd love to know. I welcome any feedback. I take criticism very well. I really appreciate to grow as a clinician with you as a technician. If you say that to a technician, wouldn't they feel like much more at ease to give you more feedback, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I ask the same with my clients. If they find that my work is slipping or it's not right in some sort of way and it's like more than one occasion, please tell me and I can do something about that or we can take a look at what we're doing as a whole because sometimes it might be the fact that you've changed a material that you're using or you've changed the way that you're temping or you've, you know, it could be anything. Just get down to the nitty gritty, get to the bottom of it straight away, nip it in the bud and then hopefully we've got no problems. Awesome. So firstly, uh, Zane Risby sends his love. Okay, which is always Hi, nice. Zane. <laughs> um, Bikram, Bik, nice to see a message from you, buddy. Uh, Bik's a, a fantastic dentist. I've seen a lot of his works, brilliant. Uh, to break contacts or not to for veneers, like to, to me, that's more of a clinical decision-making, I think. But in terms of, for you, like if every veneer prep came back with a broken contacts, perhaps it'd be a, an easier thing for you. I don't know, where, where do you stand on this? As far as I'm concerned, Getting contacts right with veneers is a nightmare. They are fiddly, they move, they pop off the models every time you're trying to adjust a contact. So for me, breaking contacts is a bit of a pain. So I'd prefer it if you didn't, as a technician. Really? You know, for, okay. For, for, ease, for ease of doing a restoration. <clears throat> but I would say it depends clinically on where the contacts actually are in your patient's mouth. If we're looking to realign things and how it's going to be realigned, obviously... Also, are we going to have enough room for the restorative work that's needed or the quality of restorative work that's needed? Because if you're doing lithium desilicate, for instance, if you've got a full contour, then, you know, you've got a certain amount of Emacs that's minimal. But then if you've got a dark core, you need more space. And then if you're going to layer it, then, of course, you need even more space. Mm -hmm. So it just completely depends on case by case that surprised me a little bit because I thought, I, in my mind, I thought you might have said, I prefer broken contact because it then gives you the freedom to, to recreate everything. But actually, you made raise a good point that actually it's so fiddly to actually recreate the contacts that if the contacts well, are for there... Ease, for ease for of ease of you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it would be great if okay. I'd never had to touch a contact, yeah. you know, but you yeah. know, my job is to do that. Yeah. But if you're not going to break contacts, then the shape of the veneer prep is obviously, and the margin is kind of paramount. So you kind of need to come around the contact and go underneath into the cervical and kind of break that area down. And that allows the technician to gain that nice emergence profile, especially if you want to try and close any black triangles whilst having that contact stay. If you can understand what I mean. Just rephrase it in a different way because I'm, I'm trying to uh, envisage what you're saying as well. Do you, do you want to draw something? I can, show, I can show it and I can describe it. Okay, so Graham's now, um, for those listening right now, he's pointing and he's pointing to the mesial of an upper left central incisor. And what I would refer that to is the interproximal elbow, isn't it? Yes, it's that, it's that's trying... correct. You need to go into the yeah. interproximal elbow yeah. in order to not break the contact. And literally, it is just a contact you're leaving. Yeah, you're leaving just the contact area only. But even then, the you know, contact areas aren't huge often. They're just minimal there. But it's important to prep that bit to allow you to cover that bit, because if you don't, you have that scenario where someone looks at the veneer at the side, they still see the prep, 
and, yeah. and it's still like a dis- discoloration. And you get a discoloration over yeah. time from your bonding. Yes. And you want to hide that, that margin as best as possible because, yeah, they, you know, margins yes. do stain over time. <clears throat> so, yes, yeah, so the uh, great point well made uh, about that. Now, here's just a technical question is if a dentist sent you some veneer preps and they haven't broken the contacts and let's say they've scanned it, then how do you create the, the digital dye models whereby they they sort of, you, you can take the prep on and off because don't you have to then digitally make a split yes. or something, right? Uh, and compared to when you used to do this analog, was that also a nightmare to do it? Yes, it's a nightmare both ways. And it's another reason why I've always chosen my method of doing things. Because with the analog, you've got to stick your saw blade through. And by the time you've stuck your saw blade through, you've already taken off 10 microns of that margin. So what I would do in this scenario is I'll pour up two sets of die models. And then I'll just take every other. Mm. and trim them out yeah it's yep. a bit of a prolonged process for me but i know it's but right. digitally it's a click of a button it will just you just set your line and then it will just print it in that way yeah it's still difficult sometimes because if the if the margins are that close together you've still got a discrepancy there but mm. at that point that's when i'd switch to the solid model single die thing and check everything. and i would then do three designs of the models on exacad okay cool cool maybe if you've got some to show later I can use my Sony camera and go around and make an extra feature to, to add to that. But that's a, a really good question. Uh, thank you, Bikram. Um, best material for masking discolored teeth anterior. So your clients that send you photos of discolored teeth over the last few years, <coughs> what material are you finding is giving you good result? Like recently I sent you a case whereby we use some um, MO or HO. Did we use HO, MO uh, in the end for these crowns and veneers? I do try not to use HO. Yeah, and you, I think it leaves a rather dead. What is HO? So those dentists don't know what is HO. <clears throat> it's high opacity, so basically lithium disilicate. Yes, so it's an ingot, high opacity ingot, lithium disilicate. So basically, it just masks things with very, very minimal thickness, but it kind of has a, a, a tinging color that isn't very nice to work with. So the the, the background itself should I say, is not very aesthetic. So if you haven't left enough room for some nice layering on top and the patient wants it to be in line with all of the other teeth, then you're not leaving yourself much of a chance it's to get anything nice Aesthetic compromise. Back. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a aesthetic compromise. So depending on how dark that actual tooth is, so unless it's actually black or grey, then I tend to try and use the medium opacities. And they can block out about 0.5, mil, mm-hmm. And then I'll try to layer on top of that. It just allows me more scope. It's much brighter. It's more fluorescent. And um, you tend to get more illustrations using those. So avoid HO if possible. It is the last possible resort for myself. And then also you've got zirconias if you've got a crown. And um, you can use the high opacity zirconia styles, which are quite old school now. They're very hard. But you can layer on top of them. But also now there are liquids you can use just to kind of opaque the internal surface of zirconias. And um, as long as you've got a, a decent thickness, it doesn't really affect the shade or the colour of it. Because if it is thin still, it can affect the, sh- the shade because it just shines through mm. the bright white. So the misconception that zirconia will block <coughs> out everything underneath. You could still get some shine through with zirconia, right? If done properly, no. But what I'm saying is you can get shine through of the opacious layer, so, uh, which is quite bright. Okay. So if you're, if you're going for like an A3 and you've put this white layer inside to opaque and block out your metal core, then that can then influence the A3 and actually make it look more like an A1.5, mm-hmm. even though it looks A3 on your shade tab when you send it out and you put it in the patient's mouth and all the lights reflect differently, it actually looks about a shade and a half lighter. So... It's hard to get it right with any material, but yeah. The What's your bias? Zirconia, lithium, the silicate when working with clients who, who send you discolored teeth. In terms of you being able to deliver it. depends it, on where it is in the mouth. Okay. So if it's anterior, I prefer to use lithium de silicate as long as there's not lots of space around the prep. So if the prep's very small and there's lots of space, I would probably say go for zirconia if possible, if there's enough you know, retentive sort of form there. But obviously, then you resort to Emacs. But then you're looking at MO ingots, HO ingots, in order to block out the light so that they don't look grey. 
Mm -hmm. Well, you, you mentioned Emacs, but I know that you've actually moved to Lissy. I moved to Lissy a long time ago, so I used two types of lithium desilicate. I used the GC Lissy. It's got, I find it's a bit more color stable. It's got a bit more fluorescence in it than Emacs. And I also use a Vita Ambrio. Okay. Which is a uh, zirconia reinforced lithium desilicate. Mm -hmm. I can get finer margins using that material. But you, you're no longer using Emacs product by Eidplot? I still use it certain occasions. Okay. But yeah, it's not my go-to. Okay. So, so like if I'm matching a restoration that's already done in Emacs 10 years ago, mm -hmm. I'll use Emacs. Mm -hmm. If there's a certain shade that somebody's looking for, then I'll order some Emacs in for it. You know, like if someone wants BL4 and the patient has really high demands and they've chosen that colour and they're going to want nothing but that colour, then I have to order that in because otherwise I'm just setting us up for failure. Yeah, for, for those uh, maybe younger dentists who, you know, the reason I mentioned this is because lithium desilicate is the material, but then you've got, you know, uh, Ivoclar does Emacs, GC does Lissy. I didn't know that Vita did Ambria. There's lots of different brands yeah. within that. Even with Zirconia, there's like Lava, there's uh, Kanata, is it? Yeah, there's the Japanese Katana. One? Katana, that's it. There's um, Vintage Press, which is by Shofu. So this is a Shofu lithium desilicate. This is a Shofu lithium desilicate. I didn't this even know that. This is I didn't Vita even know Ambria. That. Uh-huh, that's Vita Ambria, this is yeah. Lissy Press. Oh, lovely. And then, of course, you've got your classic original Emacs. Oh, yes, the OG Emacs. Cool. All so right, There's lots it. and lots to choose from. Mm -hmm. It's a minefield, and they've all got their pros and cons. Mm -hmm. Some are harder than others. Some have more fluorescence than others. Some you can fire more times than others mm. without losing Like Lissy, I think you can fire more times without losing the I think uh, Emacs... Grays a bit, is that right? It does gray. The microparticles are actually slightly bigger than with GC Lissy. Cool, amazing. Okay, uh, next question from Zahid. Zahid's got a couple of questions. So uh, Zahid Sheikh, uh, man, I love you so much, man. I love your work that you do produce. Uh, it was great to meet you in Porto when he came to the vertical preparation course. Uh, you're, you're a top guy. Thanks for sending this question in. So um, let's start with the easier one. What information, it's kind of bigger picture. What information do you require for an upper anterior single crown? Just the, just the basic information that you require and what other information that is desirable for you? So I think at this point, photography is a must. You can't just send me a shade unless like literally you take the shade and it matches exactly a shade tab. So if it matches exactly a shade tab, I will accept that A3. But the shade, but tabs, are acrylic. The shade tabs are acrylic, right? Yeah, but maybe not because at the end of the day, this is where you still really need a photograph as a technician to start anything because the enamel is always different. Where the enamel starts on the tooth is different on every patient. So some teeth have got high chromatic content or high value content. So it's the brightness and the contrast in the tooth of color and the light that goes through it. So the, the translucencies can be different. So cross-polarized photograph. So it's this is always... using a filter to so, so, so dentists out there. So firstly, um, apologies, because I didn't really make a, a big enough deal of this um, as I should have, because to match a single anterior, whether it's an upper incisor or lower incisor, is the most difficult thing in dentistry, right? That's, firstly, I didn't build it up enough that this is really tough. And that's why, uh, you know, Graham mentioned the importance of photography and cross-polarizing filter is something that you can get on your camera. I've got one, uh, but I got one by accident years ago. Uh, and uh, it removes the specular flash, so you can see the, yes, the details. See the detail. um, and, and so that is wonderful, I think. Uh, yep. Do you use the eLab protocol? I think no. I must ask you the last I don't. Episode. I don't use any protocols yeah. like that. Um, I just haven't got the business model for yeah. it. Yeah, but you see the different images that they're saying and cross-polar, you find that helpful, so that's Yeah, cross-polarized is helpful. Try not to use a ring flash. Try to use a dual flash, okay. because it, you, know, you get the shine back from the teeth, mm. especially with a ring flash. So try and use a... Dual flash. Now, if someone has a grain, which I mean, I've done by me mentioning, if someone has got a ring flash only, like for me, I have my, my dual flash, but it's a, sometimes annoying to change. Might, might even get a second camera just for that reason. But um, one thing you can do is you can detach your ring flash and just take a photo with the, the flash in from the side. It gives the technician a different That'd perspective. That's a great tip. Yeah. It's, it's a really good thing. You know, a couple of different sides from the bottom, from the side. It takes you a few seconds to do with still using your ring flash. Yeah, and it also helps establish surface textures. Mm. Absolutely. And so, yeah, photography and the patient smiling, just how that, you know, that, that tooth is looking in the mouth, how they smile is also a key, you know, where 
where that tooth is going to sit on the lip line. Yeah, uh, and, and to get the, the bigger macro uh, features of, of the smile, to get help to get your anatomy right. So obviously the primary, secondary, tertiary anatomy, so to copy everything in the adjacent teeth. But in terms of getting, because the real difficult thing here is the shape you can copy, right? It's getting that shade recipe correct, right? It's, it's the trickiest bit. And uh, very often when we're doing cases like these, a tip to dentists is um, charge more. You just have to charge more for an upper anterior single unit crown. You must, must, must charge more. Uh, and I would imagine, Graham, that you're charging more for that as well. Well, if I'm layering it, yes, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then the reason we charge more is because we don't do this as a one, you know, prep and fit. You, you actually build into the, the, the you know, call it a business model, it's a term you used a few times now, is you tell the patient there'll be a first try-in and maybe even a second try-in and, and, and you need to build that into the fee. That's why it takes a, a long time. Now, if it's perfect, that, that try-in visit, then fit it, great. But, you know, I know that these can take two, three, four, sometimes depending on how demanding your patient is, it can take a lot of, <laughs> yeah, a lot yeah. of goes at it. So good photography, micro aesthetics and macro aesthetics, different flash settings, cross polarized photos. Yes, please. Is that everything or is there anything else that you want to pass on as advice to dentists to nailing single anterior units? So your actual shade tabs. Mm. So your position of your shade tabs in the mouth, they must be in the light and you must be able to see the shade tab clearly against the adjacent tooth. The one that you're going to match is the one that you're actually shade taking to. Mm -hmm. So it needs to be close to that. And not just one shade, show me the closest two shades which you think that match closest to the mm -hmm. tooth. Mm -hmm. Now, so for some some of my clients, I do actually provide a set of shade tabs that match my materials mm -hmm. for high aesthetic work. And I ask them to kind of pick out what they see, all, the, all of the colors that they see, send me the photographs, and then I've got the basis for what I'm actually putting into the It's calibrated because you've got the same exact yes. shade guide. So yeah. I like the idea of calibrating your, your, your shade tabs with the technician. I think that's wonderful. I think we spoke about it last time as well, actually, but it's such a, an important topic. And just to add on to that, if you're using a shade tab photo, if you have the shade tab two or three millimeters in front of the incisal edge, like labial, right? And you're taking a photo, the light reflects differently. So you actually, I, I make an effort to, whether it's whitening photos or shade photos in general, to make sure that my shade tab is at the same level as the tooth I'm taking a photo of, so that the lighting is gonna have more chance of being similar on that tooth. Mm -hmm. Just a little clunker point to make. Uh, anything else on shade matching before we move on to the next question? It's a minefield. It is a minefield. <laughs> it's tough. It's a must get, Getting everything right all the time is impossible. Yeah. It doesn't matter who you are. So manage how good you are. Manage expectations. Manage your patient's expectations. You know, yeah. actually try and sell it as we might not get exactly right. You know, try I and say we will not get it perfect. There's no yeah. such thing as a perfect. I've never done Make a their expectations low. Yeah. And then, you know, if you perform highly, then they're going to be very happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Top tip there. Uh, and Zai's asked another question. And this <coughs> is because there's a string, between, it's a little discussion on the, on the Facebook group between Cheng uh, and Zahid about getting contact points, contact areas correct on like single crown. So he says, how do you overcome contact point issues with digital as opposed to stone, stone models for single crowns? And then Cheng was like, well, what issues are you having? And, and, and Zahid was like, well, my lab are having issues with section printed model being a little bit more flexible than a rigid stone model. Yeah, we covered this earlier. We covered that already. And then what he's having is that when he's, he's getting things back, the contacts are too tight and he's having to adjust the contacts a lot of times. Now, I'm not shy. I, I do a check with the floss and, I, and if it's proud, if the floss is not going through and sometimes you're, you know, I don't tell you this, but uh, a few times comes back and I didn't do, do an adjustment. That's I'm totally cool with that. I expect to do that because you're never gonna nail it every single time. A lot of time, your work, occlusion is brilliant and contact's very, very good. So a lot of time I have to touch your work. But I think the, the worst thing for a dentist to do, especially young dentists, me many years ago, you put it in and it's not fully seating but you haven't detected it because you haven't checked with floss. So these little basic checks are really important. But I guess the question I wanna to pitch to you is any advice you have to other technicians or dentists in terms of getting the right contact points? Or what you do to, because you do a good job, what are you doing differently that, you know, why are other technicians struggling maybe? So basically you've got to set yourself up from, for success from the start. So your models are the basis of everything that you do. Get your models correct. Print out a second set of dies. Ones that aren't going to start wobbling. So have some that are fixed in the model and work on a master set for margination and anything that you're going to do off of the model. So I know some technicians, they like to take the die out and they work around the die and they twist, you know, if they're doing any layering or marginal work or anything like that, they like to take it in and out. They like to have that freedom. 
And I used to like to have that freedom as a technician until I worked at, um, it was Lab 39 in Harley Street. And um, I started learning a lot about the model systems and they still work with split models themselves. But when I set up Trueform Dental with a guy called Lee Stringer, it was mainly Lee at the time, but we set up on Harley Street and he taught me the way that I now use. And I just happened to agree with everything that he had to say about it. And I was just like, do you know what? I'm going to incorporate this. It saves me time, you know, throughout the whole procedure. So set yourself up for success with the model system. And then once you've got your contacts right, polish your contacts, getting them right, and then don't touch them. Mm-hmm. How do you check? Every time you fire them, yeah. don't touch them. Don't, mm-hmm. don't, when you glaze things, glaze around it. Don't touch those contacts. Yeah. Once you've got there. the contact how you want it, yeah, don't, don't touch, touch it. it. Make, makes sense. What are you doing to check that this is the level of contact? Because to floss through a stone model is different to flossing in the mouth. But what kind of checks are you doing to, to see if you're happy with your contact? So I use Shimstock. Mm-hmm. I use a, I actually use a 32 micron Shimstock. Okay. So what are you hoping to see? When you put your 32 micron Shimstock in, you put the crown on and they're pulling, what do you want to see? So I want to see it. I want to feel a slight pull. Mm-hmm. Just a very slight pull. Like a drag. Yeah. Yeah, slight drag. Nothing too... It's not too loose. Not but, too loose, yeah. but not too tight yeah, either. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's hard to gauge, mm-hmm. but once you get some feedback from your client, that was nice. You'll know exactly what it is you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And I guess feedback, feedback, feedback until you refine your protocols, which you and, and your protocols... So find a couple of dentists who are willing to give you the feedback for every single case for a few months. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully by the time you finish that feedback, you've tweaked everything and everybody's happy. Mm-hmm. Now, clinically, I'll just talk for a minute. Clinically, what I'm doing to check the contacts is, uh, firstly, when I try the crown in, am I, is the margin seating all the way? The margin seating all the way that uh, I know that, okay, the, the contact would not be a potential reason to stop your margin seating. So if the margin's meeting all the way, I know that, okay, it's not necessarily that the contacts are so tight that it's not allowing you to even seat the crown. So that, that is the first thing. Then I, I'm checking the floss. Can I get floss through? If the floss is too loose, which never happens, this rarely happens. So usually my technicians I work with are not having this open contact issue, which is, you know, thank goodness for that. And am I able to take the floss through? Now, sometimes it's so tight, I can't get floss through. I know I'm too tight. Now, what I used to do is I used to take off the crown. This is the way my uh, consultant taught me at a hospital is I used to put, um, I think it was like 40 micron Arctic paper in, red Arctic paper, put the crown in and then pull, just like you are on, on the model. Uh, and then the problem with that is get, it gets really fiddly, you know, one hand in the mouth, okay? And, yeah. you know, well, the first time the consultant showed me, the crown fell out into the patient's <coughs> mouth. And so my little joke I make with every patient is, if, if, if I drop it, don't swallow it. And, and they have a little nervous laughter, but I mean it to them, okay? It yeah, doesn't, doesn't sure. happen very often, but, you know, so they need to know that. So um, I switch from that to something else, which is what I credit to Dr. Ricky Bopal, prosthodontist, top guy. Uh, and essentially, instead of now putting the articulating paper in, and then seating the crown in the mouth and pulling, I'm actually coloring the red Arctic paper on the floss. And now I'm forcing the floss through and wherever it's too tight, the contact, the red Arctic paper is rubbing off on the contact area, bullseye. That's where I've got to adjust. Mm -hmm. So then I will usually get like a yellow stone or something, just polish a bit. I've got my ceramic polishing burrs and whatnot as well. And I'm just checking. It usually takes a minute, a minute and a half to get it perfect. Yeah. And then I move on. So just a little clinical tip for those dentists who may be struggling to find a way to, to check their contacts. But obviously, like from a clinical point of view, it could be coming from what you're doing as well. The way you tempt things mm. is paramount. You know, what material you're using, has it got an expansion to it? Are you actually going to be pushing those adjacent teeth further out so that when that comes off, actually they spring back in and then you've got something that's tight? Like clip, clip and telio, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah. Over time, it can <coughs> expand. Uh, and especially if you're doing like a quadrant of work, you know, that, and then can you imagine that little bit of movement between each one? Yeah. That might be the reason why you're having contact issues. Really, it wouldn't have happened if you used a different material. So do you know of any materials that are safer or better to use? Another? I couldn't possibly tell you. Yeah, I, I don't yeah, really yeah. know yeah. clinical yeah. materials. So with the clinical not. side, I just know that some materials have more. So if you're having repeated issues, maybe it's worth checking the expansion of whatever temporary material you're using. I think that's a, it's a great point well made, Graham. Okay, this is a really good one. Okay, uh, the penultimate question, because the last question is how to get the, the bite spot on, right? The occlusion, that's, that's really important for me, as you know. Uh, but we'll first cover the one from Victoria. Hi, Victoria, hope you're well. Victoria is um, someone who's come to our Splint course live before. She's a pleasant uh, dentist to deal with. Thank you so much for being a protruderati. Victoria said, I have noticed some labs are using only part of the quadrant to produce the work, although full arch impressions are sent. 
I always thought that it's best to use full models, even not mounting for better occlusion management, even in single units. So essentially, the, the, the paraphrase question is essentially half an arch top and bottom and bite check versus a full model and lower model and, and, and getting the bite right. Which do you prefer and why? Well, I prefer to receive a full arch mm -hmm. every time, whether I use it or not for my models, depending on how I go about doing a case is questionable sometimes. So if I've got a full arch, if I put it through a vertical articulator, if I design it digitally, for instance, I would be putting it through a vertical, call it a digital yeah. articulator as such, yeah. and I've got the excursions there. So I'll design it digitally. And then I know that they, those excursions are clear. So how do you check would... the excursion? Is that digitally or by hand? Like how are you checking the excursions? Because if someone's sending you no Facebook, they're just sending you an upper arch and a lower arch scan, um, how, how are you checking? So basically you just kind of set your virtual virtual articulator to like an average values. Um, so you just kind of check the levels of the teeth and you know, to where you think would probably match and nine times out of 10, you get an excursion correct, you know, on a single unit because all of the functions already there in the teeth. Yes, so you're using, and this is really important uh, guys, is that you're using the adjacent teeth and the angles and the slopes of those cusps Correct. As the reference on your virtual articulator. Correct. If so the attrition, the, the, the articulator on the digital articulator, we'll use that natural attrition to plot the function. So you then design your crown using that. And once you've designed the crown, you then design your models. So you don't need all of that models because you've already done that procedure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now some labs, they might just chop it off because their business model says we can't spend that much money on the models. So they just chop it down, save money. Mm -hmm. Myself, I like to print at least the premolars on the other side, if possible. Oh, wow. So if I get full arches, I will take from six to four or five, depending on where the contacts are. So if I've got a positive contact on both sides, I'm happy, but I need both canines in mm -hmm. order to get an excursive process. But if someone's got an anterior open bite and there's no contact three, three, and you're doing even a lower molar crown, you want the full arch, top and bottom, right? Correct. And in those cases, if it's like very specific occlusal scheme there, then perhaps you probably want it on, on, a, on a physical articulator, or are you happy to use the, the virtual one for more complex cases where the occlusion isn't really straightforward? What, how, how do you manage those cases? I tend to hand mount a lot of things still on my cable. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I put a lot. And if someone doesn't send you a Facebook, you're just using average values to mount that, right? Average but you're still values. able to check things uh, better, which, which makes a lot of sense. So the Victoria, I guess the answer is the technicians would prefer as much information as they can. So they prefer the full arch, still send your full arch if that's what you're doing, that's fine. Yeah. But what you, what you do with the model is, is your decision. And sometimes you might actually print it, but you seem to be uh, in the mindset that you like to print it for to uh, you know at least to the other side premolars. Whereas what, what Victoria seems to be getting back, she's sending the full arches, but she's only getting half the mouth. And so that's what, 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 what yeah. her, where her question I, stems from. It should only really be an issue if she's having problems with excursions when it comes to fitting. Then you need to talk, talk to your lab about what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So it's, it's, it's a conversation to have with your lab, but ultimately it should be results driven. If you're getting the right results in terms of your occlusion, Correct. then it doesn't really matter what the lab are doing. Always matters what you're doing, but that kind of feeds into the results you're getting, I think. So great. Final question, big one, is getting the occlusion spot on. You're very good at doing it, okay? So I found that your shim holds, because what I like <coughs> to give you often is I, I'll tell you there's shim holds on lower left four, lower left five, lower left seven, and, and I tell you to copy the, the sort of cusp inclines of the adjacent teeth for a single unit, and you, you, you pretty much nail it. But one thing I like to do, now I don't know whether you use this or not, Graham, but one thing I like to do is that quite often I'll give you the pre-prep scan, so you know what my temporary looks like, or you know what the tooth looked like before I prepped it, and if we're doing conformative dentistry, which mostly we are, then I try and get you to copy the features. Now, do you disregard that and completely, or <laughs> he's nodding, oh, I'm gonna strangle you. I'm gonna strangle you. <laughs> Off with that. <laughs> okay. So to tell us about that then. Mainly, I disregard that because we're looking at making something better mm -hmm. at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So the tooth has failed for reasons, whether it be like contact issues or occlusal issues. So this opens up a whole can of worms of why we do these single tooth restorations. That tooth has failed for a reason, and it's normally because of something else, mm -hmm. because they've got no guidance, they've got none of this, they've got no balanced force across their whole arch. So 
by replacing one thing with an exact replica with an exact replica which yeah, yeah. is setting something else up for failure or this restoration for failure mm -hmm. so I tend to disregard anything that we've had before I might look at where the contact was originally mm -hmm. and see if we can improve it or keep it where it was but that's it the, the only time I would disagree with you the only time I disagree with you there <coughs> is a time whereby uh, and this isn't your lab it's a different lab I used once uh, and I had this patient on temporary for many months uh, it was a very specific occlusion and I wanted to, to nail it and I did and I got it working beautifully and I specifically said you must do a copy of this because I've nailed it and they completely disregarded it but what they sent back was completely out of the bite like it was completely shallow where I had these I had and I sent them a photo of my temporary and their definitive and they saw that okay we kind of cocked up and you, you gave us that information you gave us the, the the scan and we didn't use it so I think if you've test driven something in a temporary and that temporary is not an exact replica before, the temporary has been purposely built to serve this patient, then I think technicians should use it if the dentist has, has asked yeah, for it. Yeah, if you specifically specific asked yeah, exactly, for it, exactly. then yeah. Whereas Sorry. otherwise, I really respect the fact that you know, you're wanting your conformative dentistry to actually add something rather than just be an exact replica of the thing that failed. So that makes a lot of sense. So Graham, this is Alexandra Cal. Alexandra, uh, thanks so much for being Patricia Rati. It's always lovely to see your engagements on the group and whatnot and the podcast. <laughs> I love her questions. Like, why on earth is the bite never spot on? Like, it's, it's a tongue-in-cheek thing. And it's, it, you know, Cheng was like, it's likely our fault. Trust me on this. So Cheng is saying that it's likely the dentist's fault, not your fault. But but it's, it's good to to hear your perspective. So what tips do you have for dentists to make to helping you to get the bite spot on? Well, we kind of covered it earlier in some respects. So the way you temp is paramount because obviously if you've got a higher temporary, you're going to push that tooth further apart and then you're going to end up with something that's shy. Or if you obviously, you take too much off yourself, then the tooth opposing is going to over erupt. Mm -hmm. So then that makes your lab technician's restoration high. Yeah. And you have to adjust. Obviously, other things that can affect this is your temporary is coming off. You know, you'll be surprised at just an overnight how much a tooth can over erupt. I had it happen to myself. So this is personal experience. I had um, a crown prep done in an evening by a top dentist above where I used to work. His name is Memory Rashad. And um, I thought to myself, right, I haven't really got the time to make a temporary and a crown for a morning fit. So I thought, right, make the crown. Don't need a temporary. It's only overnight. So I made a nice bonded crown. Finished it in the morning, glazed it, went upstairs for a fit. It's high. <laughs> so you made your own, you it's made high. your own crown high. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> high, high, metal. Humble pie. Humble pie. Yeah. So my my tooth had actually over erupted about 0. 0.5 yeah. of a millimeter wow. just overnight. Wow. And, yeah, and so, so some, some so to, to me, as a, with an occlusion background, what I've been taught by Rob Kirstein and these guys is that that tooth, perhaps the reason why it failed is that tooth was in chronic overload. And finally, now that there was no temper anymore, it was able to passively release that pressure, okay, and, and, and restore itself. So it apparently takes about 17 minutes for the PDL just to, to, to recoil and yeah. get to where it wants to be. So it happens very quickly, right? But, but in those cases, my pre predecessor who, uh, whose list I inherited, he was famous for crowns coming back high and just cementing them and sending patients off and come back and everything was perfect. And, and so I think a lot of dentists do this and we get away with it because we adapt. The yes. body is good at adapting. So I'm not adapt. saying we should, it's not what I teach either on the inclusion course, we should uh, strive for, to be conforming the best way possible. But sometimes these things happen and you have to look at, again, lost temporaries is, is a good point. Lost temporaries. So you've got temporaries, impressions are a big thing as well you look across the arch like we say about giving full arch impressions and only small impressions now these can make a big difference to the bite if you've got any sort of distortions on your impressions any dragging anything even on scans you can end up with scan data that isn't quite correct and you've got slight warping it can affect the bite that the technician works from so that's another reason why technicians sometimes chop a lot of your scan data out because it's just not usable. Mm -hmm. It's making they're, they're trying to make something work for you. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's difficult. It's a minefield. And then of course, you've got the lab technician side of things and it could be a whole number of things in the laboratory as well. Is that technician experienced enough? Has it been quality controlled by somebody? You know, it depends on the type of lab you send it to. If you send it to a lab where you've got people working on a process, 
goes through the ceramist last. He should do the quality control. So it basically comes down to that ceramist, but everyone else, have they set him up for success mm. to the point where he's come to? So, yeah, it, it could point to a number of people. I mean, with all the processes on the dentist side and all the processes on the lab side, it's a bloody miracle that any, anything actually fits. It's yeah. a minor miracle. It is a minor miracle. <laughs> the occlusion's even, and your occlusion's usually very good. And we'll, we'll take a few snippets and, and some uh, video content of the virtual articulator. I think everyone will be quite happy to see that. We'll show that in a, in a moment. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think getting the occlusion right is a partnership between the dentist and the technician. Uh, and uh, another tip that I can give is, uh, one thing you mentioned earlier, Graham, is that when we're doing our scans, just take a second, just check the bite is how it should be. Because, you know, one time out of a hundred, you might say to me, is this actually how the bite is? And we're like, hang on a minute. No, my photos show something different. So at the time, in haste, you might have not scanned properly or the patient's just shifted their bite a little bit as you're scanning. Yeah, correct. Correct. Important to check that. And it's very detriment, especially if you're using like a quadrant scan mm. and your patient's bit down in the wrong place. You've got no real attrition to have any guidance with even if you're trying to put it in like habitual position and working with the attrition there, if you haven't got enough surface area, you've mm -hmm. got nowhere to work from mm -hmm. and you're just literally working off of excursions only and that's it. So you can make a crown that's flat mm -hmm. in order for it to fit and that's probably the best you'll get. The times well, where I struggle <clears throat> as a dentist to, and you know, I blame myself as a dentist rather than lab, is deep bite patients, right, who don't have much of an anterior stop. So they completely, they're almost binding onto the gingiva. Right, so very very deep bite. That, that that's almost like an open bite in the sense that you're relying a lot on the posterior anatomy because the anterior isn't really giving you much. And what I found is that these crowns often come back very proud because uh, because of that deep bite element, the technician has perhaps not been able to control exactly what the bite is like because of the fact that it just overcloses. It's, it's it's got so much play at the front because of the deep bite nature. So I've always found these cases a lot more tricky to get the occlusion right in. So I always go back to basics, get a full arch in that sense, give a couple of different bites, uh, use a few different reference points and, and, and give as much information to the technician as possible. I would never in a deep bite case give a half an arch only. Any other tips on that to me? Not that I can see them. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I think we've covered a, a lot of ground there, Graham. I think we've covered a, a lot of top tips there. Uh, we answered a lot of the protrusorities questions. I've always enjoyed talking I, to you. But I yes. do have a tip for digital dentists, yeah. though, about getting your bites right. Sure. Now, one thing that I do is when I receive a digital case, I will then go to design the models, etc., etc. I know dentists don't do a lot of this. But if you go to a, a model design first before you then design your crown, it could be an advantage to yourself. Now, what I do, I always check for the contacts and where they are. Do they match up? You know, is it evenly balanced? Are they in the places where you thought it was? And if not, then I change where the antagonist positioning is. And I will bring it down as if the patient is actually biting. So I'll bring it down like 10 microns and then another 10 microns until we've got contact. Digitally, you're doing digitally. digitally yeah. This is digitally. And then, and only then when I'm happy with the way the patient is biting to know that when I build the restoration, that's the position it's going to be when the patient's biting down and it's not going to be high. But this is because the, the scan, the bite scan that you've been sent is kind of indeficient. Yes. Yeah. And so what I appreciate about you, Graham, here, and it's important to note this, is that you're taking this time to check and, and you know, do these pre-op pre checks rather than just make the crown fit in what you have and make it all just fit. You're actually taking time to, to check that, which is which is wonderful. So I think part of the reason why we get a lot of success, you and I, with our collusion, is because you're doing these checks, I'm doing my checks, and we work in synergy together. So now at this point, people are like, okay, I want to use Graham as my technician. So I'm going to say, piss off, all right? Hands off. <laughs> no, I'm joking, I'm joking. Uh, uh, so, so I've already had this chat with Graham, uh, and Graham is too busy. You could say what kind of work you're willing to accept because I know you're not taking any bigger clients on. Not, not I can't aesthetic. take any aesthetic work on. I've got enough clients that are sending me that to keep me busy. I can perhaps take on some single units, mainly Emacs, like onlays, overlays, veneer lays, kind of what we specialize in, and uh, quadrant work, posterior quadrants. 
but yeah, anterior work and full arches. I can't take anything. Yeah, away. anything fancy, buzz off. Yeah, he's, he's busy uh, enough as it is. Uh, <laughs> so great. Uh, thanks so much, man. Really, really nice to see your lab today. We'll take a few more bits of footage and stuff for the for the occlusion course, but also uh, just for, to add on to this um, video uh, for the virtual articulator and that kind of stuff. And we'll go around seeing some things. So guys, thank you so much for tuning in as always. And uh, now to the outro. Well, there we have it, guys. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. I hope it inspired you to pick up that phone and arrange to go visit your lab. See your technician eye to eye and grow together. Maybe even take them out for lunch, hashtag tax deductible. And if you've listened all the way to this point uh, and you're a Protrusive Premium member, all you have to do is answer a few questions and get your one hour of CPD. Because if you're listening every week, and many of you are, then by the end of the year, you would have got 30, 40, maybe even 50 hours of CPD by certificate ready to upload as part of your personal development plan and as part of your annual quota. Answering these questions is super easy and it validates the learning. Just make sure it's all fresh in your head. In fact, one of the questions for this episode, I'm just going to read it out, is which of these is a cause for your crown being proud or too high in the bite at the time of delivery? So is it A, a temporary material that is dimensionally unstable? B, a lost provisional crown? C, a distorted impression or scan? D, a lab error such as a lack of quality control? Or E, all of the above? If you know the answer, you're pretty much almost there to get your certificate, so please do answer it. And if you haven't already downloaded the app, that's the first step. Either access the app online on your browser, on your laptop, by going to protrusive.app or downloading it on Android or iOS. If you found this episode useful, share it with your lab technician. That's maybe one way how you're going to grow together, that one way that you're going to build a rapport with your technician or maybe send it to a colleague that you like. I appreciate you listening all the way to the end, and I'll catch you same time next week, same time, same place.